today on Lawfare No Bull. The House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence held an open hearing on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility within the intelligence community on Wednesday, October 27, 2021. The committee heard from Avril Haines, Director of National Intelligence, William Burns, Director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Ronald S. Moultrie, Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, General Paul M. Nakasone, Director of the National Security Agency, and Lieutenant General Scott Barrier, Director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Director Haynes, not only do there seem to be barriers to promotion to senior executive and leadership positions for individuals from diverse backgrounds, there also appears to be a growing glass wall where diversity resides within administrative and mission support fields such as HR, communications, and finance. Are you seeing this trend within your agency? What steps are being taken to increase representation in core mission areas such as analysis and collection, particularly in management and senior ranks? Uh, and if, for example, we were look to the percentages that you gave uh, in terms of women uh, and minorities overall in the agency, if you looked at that in senior management positions outside of administrative and mission support fields, what would those numbers look like? Thank you, Chairman. Uh, so yes, I, there is obviously a, a split that we've seen in administrative and support roles where there's a concentration of essentially both women and minorities in those areas. It is, I don't, I couldn't give you for ODNI, but we should do that work, essentially what the split would be, in other words, what the difference would be between them in the senior ranks. Others may have information about their particular agencies uh, and departments. I, the, one of the challenges here, I think, as you've identified, is the fact that we need to actually promote throughout the community in all different fields the diversity that we expect to see. And, uh, and something that we have been looking at is how we actually do the hiring and whether or not we're actually promoting all fields in that context. So when I go to uh, Florida International University, for example, which happens to be an IC center of academic excellence. One of the things that they do is they take a, a competed grant and they develop curricula that actually promotes um, IC skills, tries to build out a whole series of uh, workshops and other things that are intended to really develop not just kind of student interest in these areas, but actually the skills that would make them, you know, um, great employees within the intelligence community and promoting that in these spaces I think helps to allow students to see these are things that I can do as I'm coming into the intelligence community that I may not have thought of before and that I may not have been encouraged to do and that's a way for us to ensure that we're actually bringing them into mission in every possible way but um, others may have comments on this issue. Director Burns I know this is a uh, IC wide problem but uh, that is the, the length of time it takes to get someone cleared uh, to join the IC. Uh, have you found uh, whether that has a disproportionate impact um, on diversity? That is, that uh, the length of time, whether it's six months, a year, 18 months uh, to join the IC, uh, has the impact of excluding uh, many people of color? 
Um, thanks for the question, Mr. Chairman. Um, it's a problem across the agency. I mean, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, that you know, an onboarding process that can take as long as 600 days put, puts us at a considerable disadvantage in recruiting uh, the best talent across American society, just as a general rule. But it's a particular disadvantage oftentimes for minority applicants as well, many of whom don't have the means uh, to wait uh, through a lengthy onboarding process as well. So for both of those reasons, um, I feel a real sense of urgency about reforming that process and reducing it, as I said, over the next couple of years to a median of about no more than 180 days. I think that's essential both for the agency as a whole um, and for minority recruitment and retention. And Director Burns, do you, um, do you believe there is a lingering or legacy cultural barrier uh, to the uh, DEINA initiatives uh, at the agency as compared with other elements of the IC? Um, I think it's a challenge that, you know, the agency has wrestled with for some years. As I said, I think we're very focused on the importance of increasing not just recruiting but retention and especially demonstrating a professional pathway for deserving officers, whatever their background, all the way to the senior ranks. I think those are the, the key ingredients in a formula to overcome that. And I think, you know, we've also put a great deal of effort into emphasizing the importance of creating a culture of respect and tolerance as well, as I mentioned in my opening remarks. So we recognize it as a challenge, but I think like my colleagues across the IC, um, you know, we're making a serious effort and I intend to continue that. Do any of the, and I don't know how much of you can, this you can discuss here, but um, I know the agency is in the process of implementing your direction uh, arising out of the results of the agency-wide strategic reviews conducted earlier this year. Uh, do any of those uh, impact uh, the area we're discussing today, and are you able to share information on that? Um, yes, sir. I mean, one of the specific objectives in um, strengthening our workforce um, is the onboarding process that I mentioned before. I think that's absolutely critical. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility is another important priority, and we've launched a series of efforts, some of which I mentioned in my opening statement, um, aimed at recruitment as well as strengthening retention and and as I said before, demonstrating a pathway to the senior most ranks of the agency. Um, in the appointments that I mentioned to our senior leadership team in the seven months I've been director, I I'm proud of the fact that over half of those are female and nearly a third are minorities as well. And that is, I think, a significant step in the right direction. Our duty is to field the most competent, capable, and lethal national security team we can. A generation ago, the CIA was mocked for being pale male Yale. Now, maybe you believe that an IC comprised of white males is the result of a perfectly meritocratic system. Maybe you believe that uh, white males have some racial or ethnic or genetic advantage over others. If you do, there's a word for that. I don't believe that we believe that. I believe that if we have an insufficiently diverse IC, we are failing to tap the talent of women and African Americans and Latinos and Asian Americans. And if we fail to tap that talent, we are falling down on our duty to field the most competent, capable team that we can. Um, Director Haynes, uh, I'm looking at some stats here that uh, 
show a trend that I've seen in other institutions, which is easier to recruit a diverse talent pool than to promote them to most senior levels. I won't go into the numbers, but going from GS9 to GS15, you see a very steady drop off of the percentage of uh, minority uh, staff. Um, two questions, and I know it's complicated, but do, do your best in three minutes. Um, do we have good data? I, I read in the report that exit interviews are optional. That would suggest to me that maybe we don't have good data. Secondly, in as much as we do have good data, can you just spend a minute or two on elaborating on why you think we lose diversity as people climb the ranks? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Representative Himes, for the question. So on the term, the question of whether or not we have good data, I will tell you that um, we need more data. So I think some of the data that we have is obviously good data, but we do not have exit interviews exhaustively applied across the community, and we're working to do that to, um, from the you know, IC perspective, ODNI is looking to try to help with ensuring that we have the resources allocated to that and the systems in place. And that is something that needs to be done. Additionally, ODNI had not done a barrier analysis, which is one of the key sources of data, to your point, doing surveys, doing opportunities for exit interviews, but other issues. And we are now in the process of getting a barrier report done that was overdue. So. There's uh, a lot of room for improvement in this. In the context of the work that has been done, what we have found out from those surveys and exit interviews that have been done is that the primary reason that people give is lack of promotion opportunity, as I mentioned. And so that is a key question for us, and it certainly is um, comes back to you know one of the original points that you're making, I think. So that's something that we're looking at. I, I would say, too, that you know as we look at on the recruitment side, we have attracted more minorities, for example, to apply, right? But we're not actually seeing them get hired, as I pointed out, in the same percentages that they're applying, right? So you would you see a roughly 10% gap there that's pretty significant, and we're looking at this across a range of issues. And so the question is, why is that happening? And part of the question we're trying to answer is through data, right, like basically talking to those candidates about their process, what is happening during that process, trying to ensure that folks who are hiring managers, for example, are undergoing unconscious bias training, other things that might be helpful in that context, doing a variety of things to try to ensure that we're going to both pull the data so that we can better understand it and do what we can to improve that situation. So, so we, I'm sorry, let, let me interrupt because yeah. I, I don't want to end this conversation without having a sense for what you think is driving the drop-off in senior levels. I mean, are we talking about mentorship, culture, prejudice? What I, I know we don't have much time, but I'd love to come away from this conversation with a sense of your diagnosis. Yes, what we're hearing is lack of promotion opportunities, lack of fairness and equity in the workplace, insufficient mentoring and guidance, and a lack of identification with the greater organization. Those are the things that are coming up in the data. And my last point was only going to be to that, which is we don't have the data that would help us see whether or not that gap between applicants and hiring is happening in promotion boards as people are going through the IC. And that's another key place where we need to dig in and see whether or not we're seeing the same percentage drop, in a sense, that gap as we're going through the system, in a sense. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Yield back. Well, and lastly, wrapping up, um, 
how do you how are you make I mean for example uh, PETA is designated by many as a, as a hate group and there are people I mean the Southern Poverty Law Center I think that their process is very flawed because you have one or two people making a designation as to who is and who is not a hate group when they really have an axe to grind with certain individuals how do you do you discriminate against someone who has a religious affiliation and that religious affiliation or their belief system may have very destructive views as it relates to blacks and Jews and their origin stories. I mean, do you discriminate against them even though their affiliation isn't necessarily listed amongst hate groups? How do you make that determination? Do you uh, comb through someone's social media and they uh, had a position 10 years ago being critical of U.S. foreign policy or police brutality? Yes, Congressman, I'll speak for the Department of Defense, sir. Within our organization, we're focusing more on behaviors than we are in terms of group representation, if you will. So if someone is um, a member of a group, that may not necessarily indicate that they are actually doing things that are detrimental to uh, what we consider to be the mission or our readiness or their ability to serve. So we're really trying to focus on those behaviors that we are concerned about and uh, less on what somebody's past affiliation or association with a group might be. Burns, you indicated that in having executives evaluated for both bonuses and uh, promotions, you are now looking at their uh, ability to and effectiveness in uh, promoting diverse persons into the senior ranks. Is that true? Um, that's correct, Congresswoman. And as has, well as, any, has anyone who um, has been evaluated under that new uh, rubric um, been found to be inadequate in their efforts and not been promoted? There's at least one example that I know of in terms of a bonus where, um, where there was um, – you know, a reaction against performance that didn't live up to those standards in terms of not just promotion, um, but also creating an inclusive atmosphere. But I'd be glad to get back to you with more than that. I would appreciate that. Um, Director Haynes, I actually think this is really important to do across the IC. Uh, Are you committed to doing that to make sure that um, in senior management, we see the diversity we need and that we evaluate those who are making those decisions and either not promote them or not provide bonuses if they do not succeed in uh, promoting those who should be, success- should be successful in that regard. Thank you, Congressman. Yes, the, um, our personnel evaluations include this as one of the factors, and I'm absolutely committed to it. An additional question that's come up is whether or not we should be asking people in interviews, for example, whether or not they have a plan for diversity and inclusion. And that's something that we're looking at as something that should be potentially included. I just want to underscore the fact, the, the importance of not just um, having th- that looked at, but that there be uh, repercussions if they're not successful in helping to elevate persons in that regard. Yes. Uh, let me uh, also ask about STEM talent um, to all of you. I am very concerned that we are not attracting the STEM talent into the IC that we desperately need as we move forward. And I am exploring and would like for you to consider and then report back to me whether or not we should be creating an ROTC-like entity uh, in colleges for the IC. Uh, Because 
without doing something like that, I feel we're going to fail in that regard. Um, when I first came in, we went through an exercise with the leaders of the intelligence community to identify what are our priorities. And we talked about substance, and we talked about the fact that China is a critical priority for the intelligence community. But top of the list for which there was absolutely uniform support among every leader of the intelligence community, and all of the people on this panel were part of that, was talented and diverse workforce, recruiting and retaining a talented and diverse workforce. And I think it is just fundamental to our success in the future that we actually bring that workforce forward because they're the ones that are gonna need to address the challenges that we're facing. And there is nobody that saw any tension between diverse and talent. It is absolutely fundamental and together. Be able to persuade our colleagues, or at least the ranking member, uh, of the value of diversity as far as it just being the 21st century, it's the right thing to do. It relates to equality. But operationally, um, General Nakasone, would you agree that you know, if, if your folks are listening in on, you know, say, a counter-narcotics uh, investigation that you're aiding the intelligence community, that perhaps maybe having a native Spanish speaker would be helpful? Yes or no? Yes, Congressman, and if I might, uh, let me give you a, an operational example that, uh, that really depicts this. Uh, during the Afghan retrograde, we did um, a tremendous amount of support to, uh, to our forces forward. A lot of that was done out of the National Security Agency, Georgia, of which we had several of um, our linguists that came from Afghanistan, born there, came, became uh, citizens of our country, served within our military, in fact, uh, one that was significantly injured, and were tremendous linguists in terms of understanding not only the words that were being spoken, but the texture and the context that goes behind that. That's the power of diversity. That's why it's so important to us as an agency, uh, and that's why it's, I think, so critical to our intelligence community. Thank you, General. And, and Director Burns, you know, we can't talk a lot about your successful operations, but we've been briefed on them in the committee, and would you agree there are many, many operations that only a woman could conduct? Yeah, no, I think um, our, our most successful operations are ones where we draw not just from the exceptional tradecraft of our officers, but also from our diversity as well. Focusing in diversity recruiting, are we, uh, are the re does our recruitment align with the demographics graduating from our colleges and universities? Congressman, I think you've identified an area we can do better at. Uh, and this is uh, where, I, where I would say is that um, I'll speak only for my agency. Uh, we have had a tendency to only recruit from a, a certain part of the United States uh, and emphasize on a certain part of the United States. And so, you know, while we have been uh, very focused on the East Coast, we have to be much more broader across our nation, too. I agree. And, I'm, and I hope you all will take that for the record. That's real important. Maybe. When I took over the, uh, the role of both uh, the director of the National Security Agency and U.S. Uh, Commander U.S. Cyber Command, I had committed at my testimony to do a evaluation of the, uh, the worth of the dual hat. Uh, I think the most important thing that I would add to this is the fact that uh, the way that we approached that uh, evaluation was the fact that it wasn't necessarily what's best for the National Security Agency, what's best for U.S. Cyber Command, what's best for the nation. In three plus years, what I have seen, Congressman, is the fact that the roles, missions, and responsibilities of U.S. Cyber Command and the National Security Agency are even more so converging in a domain cyberspace that requires three things. It requires speed, it requires agility, and it requires unity of effort. 
the successes that we've been able to have across the 2018 elections, the 2020 elections, and the recent ransomware attacks on our nation are based upon those ideas of being able to react with speed, react with agility, and react with unity of effort. And I think, and this is from my experience both operationally uh, as, um, as the commander and as the director of NSA, uh, that that would not have been possible with two separate organizations under two separate individuals. In terms of the question regarding the capabilities of the National Security Agency, uh, the data that I would, would welcome and the data that I would uh, be more than happy to provide is across our mission sets, whether or not it's adversaries in signals intelligence, whether or not it's our crypt analytic capabilities, our ability to break code, our ability to make code on our cybersecurity side, our ability to provide technical talent, our ability to provide indications and warning to, this, to support to military forces. Our abilities at the National Security Agency uh, have never been better, in my opinion. And I think that's backed up by the customers that we serve. The last thing that I would say on that, it's not just about the mission, though. It's also about the people. And if you take a look at the intelligence community um, climate assessment that has been taken over the past several years, what you will see is that NSA ranks among the tops in the IC for our ability to do it. And the final thing that I would put on there, Congressman, is the fact that over the past several years, uh, we've had record recruiting years. Uh, an ability to attract the best and brightest in our nation that want to come to work for our agency. And so I, I will yield back to the chairman. I want to go to the heart of the matter, uh, which Director Haynes, you, I think, raised. Is there any conflict between diversity and competence in mission success? You want to speak directly to that? Yeah. I Honestly, I think there is no tension, and in fact, I think they are mutually supporting of each other, which is to say that, you know, I think as all of us have reflected, we believe, you know, in intelligence work in particular, you need a diversity of perspectives in order to actually understand the world, and the reality is we need that diversity in the IC to do our job most effectively. We want that talent. We see how important that talent is, and it is critical for us to be pursuing these together. I don't think we can get to either without the other. Okay, thank you. Mr. Moultrie, you have had an extraordinary career serving our country in CIA and DOD. Uh, I think 36 years? Yes, Congressman. You know, you, you've, you've been incredibly successful, and I th suspect things were an awful lot different when you were starting out uh, for African Americans uh, uh, than they are today. And I would like you to speak to your personal journey and what changes have made and what you have seen, given your responsibility, about the benefit of a diverse uh, workforce in intelligence agencies. Yes, Congressman. Um, thank you for that question. I, I think it, it gets to the heart of the matter in terms of what opportunities are provided to individuals who are, are dedicated to serving their country, not just people who, who may have served in uniform as I did, but individuals who want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves, who understand the issues, who can get the security clearance and all those things, and do we provide them with opportunities if they're a little bit different from us? And I was afforded those opportunities, and, and, and I think that that's what's really been uh, instrumental in helping me, and, and that's one of the things that I've tried to do with others. To the point that Director Haynes was just uh, speaking to, and that General Noxoni spoke to a little bit earlier about, um, is diversity in the mission at odds? I would say absolutely not. I would say they are completely um, uh, in sync, and then they're even additive, because in places, and, and some of these things 
um, can't go into in, in the open hearing, but in places where we've had coups, in places where we've had tremendous unrest. The only reason why we know about these things is because we've had linguists who are from these countries who speak the language, they understand the culture, and they can talk to us about, here's what's happening in my country, my former country, here's what we need to do about it. That's happened much more than we could ever talk about in an open hearing. And those things are insightful, not just for our leaders and policymakers, but also for our most senior decision makers in this country. Thank you. And General Barry, the, the military has been uh, it, 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 a wonderful place uh, for folks who didn't have opportunity to get opportunity to start appreciating and understanding and recognizing skills they didn't even know they had. What's the importance uh, to you in your mission about diversity? Congressman, thank you for the question. It's extremely important for DA. It's vital. We, we need the diversity of thought, the diversity of background uh, to be able to make the kinds of assessments and judgments that we're making and providing to the Department of Defense. If we don't have diversity, if we, if we all look like me, it, it's not going to work. We need that diversity of background to be able to provide the very best we can. Thank you. Uh, and I know General uh, Nakasone and, and, and uh, Director Burns, you feel the same way. For, uh, but uh, the, the final area where maybe the two of you could uh, comment on is what are the pipelines? You have to be really creative, like going down to Florida State, going to places where there are people who don't traditionally get the uh, interview opportunities. Uh, can you suggest any additional things that would be helpful uh, in where additional congressional authorities might be helpful for you to be successful? So, Congressman, uh, while I can't suggest uh, additional authorities, what I, what I can offer are uh, some of the examples that we've seen and the benefits that we've uh, been able to accrue from a, a broader supply chain. Uh, so we have a, a large supply pool that comes out of our high school work-study work program, uh, mm -hmm. an ability to bring young people in uh, in their junior and senior year, clear them, and uh, have them work at our agency and see what we do as a possibility of uh, then going forward. And the second piece that I would add is uh, the Director Summer Program. So every year, over 2,000 people apply to be a, a director summer intern. Mm -hmm. We're able to focus that across a number of different demographics to bring people, clear them, bring them to our agency, and work very, very difficult problems to get after the, the issues of science, technology, and engineering, mathematics. We hire over 80% of those people that are already clear, wow. that already have experience, that already understand uh, how we do business at NSA. Thank you. And the only thing I would add, Congressman, is that, you know, we, we try to be as creative and energetic as we can in outreach. We just started a new scholarship program, which I mentioned, a fellowship right. program, which I mentioned earlier, which is aimed at applicants coming from and already serving institutions as well. And that's, you know, that's already proving, I think, to be a huge asset for us. Uh, Director Burns, if I could start with you, you talked about the sense of urgency as it pertains to the onboarding process and the obstacles that the 600 days, that usual period that it takes, uh, create for some of the young men and women that I referred to. Um, you, you talked about you thought that 180 days would be more ideal. What will it take to get to, to that? Well, it's going to take a sustained effort, but we're determined to accomplish that over the next couple of years. What what it takes is applying artificial intelligence and machine learning, ensuring that we have an electronic, not a manual, end-to-end -end process. We can't cut any quarter, corners on security That's clearances, right. mm -hmm. um, but we have a deep responsibility there. But we can accelerate the process by taking advantage of new technologies. And we learned some of this, uh, you know, over the course of the pandemic experience. In other words, what are the kinds of things we can do virtually 
that helped to speed the process. Of course, as a former police chief, I would never uh, suggest that we cut security clearances, but I believe you indicated that this diversity and inclusion and accessibility is like your, I think you said your second objective in terms of priorities. And so I'm just trying to understand how do we get to the point of opening doors for the talent that's out there um, so we can improve the function of the IC community. Well, I think, ma'am, it involves um, continued progress and a sense of urgency at every stage in recruiting, in the onboarding process, in retention and mentoring, and then especially in demonstrating that there's a clear professional pathway all the way to the senior most levels of our agency for officers whose performance warrants that, whatever their background. And that's what we're determined to achieve. Thank you, Director uh, Haynes. You talked about uh, promotions as cited as one of the top reasons for uh, women and other minorities leaving uh, the IC a community at the police department we used to say that police departments should reflect the diversity of the communities in which we serve and that diversity should be reflected at all rank levels which means the decision makers should be a diverse community um, as well could you um, talk just a minute about why did you decide to create a new senior IC officer roles for DEI and accessibility and what was missing under the prior structure in your view Yes, absolutely, Congresswoman. Thanks, by the way, for staying through the entire hearing. <laughs> Appreciate it. And your work on these issues. I, um, I'll answer that question, and then I, I would love to add, if it's all right, to what uh, Director Byrne said about the onboarding process. On, in answer to your question, um, I, I set up the separate office for the following reasons. One is I wanted to have an absolute focus, frankly, on diversity, equity, inclusion. Somebody who is, uh, you know, 24-7, so to speak, focused on that issue. That's number one reason. Number two is that I find that is um, both the EEO, the Equal Employment Opportunity Office director, and the person focused on diversity will report directly to me. So neither one of them are, in a sense, getting down further into the org chart. But, um, but both of them have to work through partnerships with different parts of the IC for different purposes. And I actually think it's critical for the person who's focused on diversity, equity, inclusion to really have an opportunity to develop those partnerships based on essentially the diversity, equity, inclusion issues. Also, an Equal Employment Opportunity Office is one that um, is intended to be, in a sense, a kind of an independent voice in the process. They're taking complaints from folks on compliance issues and so on. And I think that is really uh, something that I want to preserve the independence surrounding. So those are some of my reasons. I think there's lots of people who can look at these in different ways. I don't think it's a, you know, an, an easy choice in some respects, but, um, but I do believe it's the best way to promote, in a sense, diversity, equity, inclusion. And we have a separate person who's working on accessibility because I really do think we have to focus on that. On the onboarding piece, I would just say it is an IC-wide issue. Uh, overall, the average amount of time it takes from application to onboarding that we provided in a report to you you in Congress is 419 days across the IC. 189 days of that was the security clearance process. There is a lot of room for improvement. As Director Burns indicated, there's a lot of technological pieces. There's also a variety of administrative details that we've been working through to see how we can improve the fact that, you know, you fill out a form on the low side, right? It goes up to the high side. It gets dealt with there. If there's a mistake, it has to come back to the low side, gets redone, goes back up to the high side. It's astonishing how much time some of these things 
things take. But among the things that we've been working on is trying to shorten the process without cutting corners on security clearances. And for example, now in the third quarter of FY2021, the amount, the average amount of time it takes to get an initial top secret clearance is down to 143 days. So we're working in the right direction. We still have a lot of work to do across the board. And we are all inspired, frankly, by Director Burns' idea of going to 180 days, and we are working to do that as a community. Lawfare No Bull is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution and Goat Rodeo. You can support Lawfare's suite of podcasts by joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lawfare. That's www.patreon.com slash lawfare. You should rate and review Lawfare No Bull wherever you found us and you should share us on all the social medias. And as always, thanks for listening.